This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Your cousin from Boston. New Sam Adams Wicked Easy is light and wicked easy to drink. Which means it's wicked easy to call up some buddies for a little day sesh. So, wicked sorry I'm late. Sam Adams Wicked Easy. The Boston Beer Company, Boston, Massachusetts. Drink responsibly. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's a, another film study as we look at week 14. This time we get to look at the offense, which is a whole lot more fun, I think, and it's going to be a lot of fun to discuss. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm, ge- I'm now obsessed since uh, moving to Florida and f- having this nice office. I'm now obsessed with trying to get rid of the reverb in this office. So that's I spent good. today hanging up some curtains, trying to make it improve. So... Uh, that's been my day is obsessing over my voice. It's good you have the time to do that. I know you've been real busy lately at work. Oh, it, I squeezed it in in the past hour. By by all day, I mean the past hour I worked on this, yes. All right. But all right, uh, joining us, and I think this is a great uh, person to join, we got Charles Walker from the Baltimore Sun who listed this game as an instant reaction as one we'll talk about for decades. And I think that's a great way that we're going to get started on this anyway. Charles, how are you doing? 
Doing okay, guys. Uh, glad, glad to be on. Uh, Ken, Ken, I've enjoyed reading your work for a number of years, so happy to uh, happy to be here. Okay, appreciate that, child. So I've certainly enjoyed the writing of the Sun too, and uh, just talk about that for a little bit because I think the the you know the addition of Jonas certainly adds a very technical slant to a lot of the analysis. I think that I've noticed an a change in pretty much everybody's writing to maybe pan, pander's the wrong word, but but uh, you know try and attract an audience that's a little more technical in terms of uh, football fans as as the world gets more technical. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean. I think that if you're not trying to do that, you really are behind at this point. And I, and I think we've all probably realized that over the last few years. Um, I think some of the best cutting edge writing on football that we've seen in the last few years has been has sort of had that bent. And, and so I think everybody is trying to, uh, you know, deepen, deepen, deepen the understanding, um, you know, watch more film, um, watch the all 22 every week, you know, all the all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that was the norm when I started really writing about the team eight or nine years ago, mm -hmm. but I definitely think that it is now. And yeah, I think it's great that jo Jonas came on the beat three years ago and I think he really made it a point to step up to that. And, and, and I, I love reading his pieces. I mean, I think it does bring a, a, a sort of a fresh uh, perspective to, to what we do. Um, I, I grew up as, I came up as more of a feature writer. So that, that's still sort of my, my bent. I mean, I'm probably looking for the, the human interest you know, side of, of, of the players more. I mean, that, that's still how I come at it. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm writing about the team, you know, from a more technical side with the scouting reports and then the five things that I do after every game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly have to be way more aware of that stuff, I, th I think, than I was when I started. Yeah, I think the five things in particular I thought were really excellent, uh, and I've, I've been reading those on a weekly basis and appreciating them. You talked about the human interest component of the game. So it, this is going to be a special memory, this game, a special memory for all of us, I think, for many years. Uh, we just talked a little bit during our production meeting about the 2003 Seattle game, the 2000 Jacksonville game also in terms of great regular season home games are a couple that really stick out in my mind as being in the same category as this one. Where do you, in, in 2037, do you think we'll be talking more and know more about this game than we know about the 2003 Seattle game today? Um, I, th I think there's certainly a strong chance, and partly because Lamar is such a compelling figure, and you certainly get the sense that we're going to be telling Lamar Jackson stories in 15, 20, 30 years, right? And, and I think that if that's the case, this game is going to come up. I mean, just because it, it had such a remarkable narrative give and take to it. I mean, you know, he played brilliantly through the first three quarters. I mean, and that in and of itself was, you know, fun to watch, but just the, I mean, the drama of him leading the field and then coming back at the, at the point yep. when he, when he did, I mean, you just can't, I mean, you know, you couldn't script it. You, you, you really couldn't. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And yep. uh, I think, I think that's what will set it apart. I mean, that, that it's that player who's the sort of center of everything guy that we all feel like we're going to be talking about for a long time. And this was unquestionably, a, you know, one, one of the major moments in his career to this point, maybe, maybe the major moment. Yeah. It's, it's he, he, one of the things he was always accused of is never having comeback wins. This certainly meets that standard. And, you know, I think about the 2003 Seattle game, Anthony Wright had a child that, that night and his wife was given a game ball by Brian Billick for delaying inducement of labor until after the game. And, you know, that is something that should be a greater human interest story. But Lamar Jackson, that mysterious door he went through and whatever he was doing behind it, whatever that might have been, and then coming out and being on the field at the proper time and also the footwear thing. 
they're just they're Lamar Jackson stories. So they take a new way. And I, I, that's why I agree with you. I think that we probably will be talking about this more, at least from that human interest angle. That 2003 Seattle game has all kinds of plays that are ingrained in Ravens history in ways that that this game doesn't have as many. But the the, the number two stories for Lamar Jackson and all those other things, they're going to stick with us. And I was trying to remember if there was a regular season game that stuck out like this in the eight or so years that I've been covering the team. And I couldn't think of one on this level. I, re- I really couldn't. I mean, um, there's some playoff games that I, w- I would say differently about, but that's always, you, you always kind of put that in a different category, right? Yeah, I, I would. The Mile Highland Miracle, the AFC Championship at New England, and I think if I go back to 2000, the game at Tennessee that they won, yeah. all fall into that that higher level category. I'd even say maybe the 08 game at Tennessee was a really special game of this of the same ilk. But yeah, they are in a separate class, and and uh, you know I, I, I'm careful with the qualifiers in that. But I, I don't think there's been a game in the last eight years. First of all. You know, one of the important things is a springboard into a playoff run. And we might have that this year. We might not. If they if they lose this week, this game may fall into into some, you know, lack of recollection relative to that 03 game. Yeah. Yeah. Harbaugh Harbaugh actually said that today when when we talked to him, you know, basically, if we uh, if we let up this week, then that immediately sort of wipes out what happened on Monday. Right. So, you know, obviously that's the mentality they have to have. But there no, there's a lot of truth in that. All right. So three more wide receivers to the COVID list today. We hope this is nothing serious, uh, but Brown, Boykin, and Prochet, a huge component of the team speed. That's the wrong way to look at this. These are three human beings who are on a close contact list. We hope the best for them. None of them actually got sick. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly you had to take it as good news that, uh, you know, they, they were on for contact tracing reasons and, and not for positive tests. Um, but I mean, look, we've seen how this thing goes. I mean, you know, there's no guarantee that one or more of them doesn't that's positive in the, in the next few days. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be a question mark all week, I think, until uh, until we see them come back. And, you know, they're, they're significant players, need, needless to say. One of the things that's happening on the field is the players get excited and they're still going mask to mask, meaning helmet to helmet, after the play, when they get excited about a touchdown, they lift each other up and they're hugging each other and Harbaugh's hugging, you know, Brown as soon as he comes off the field. Uh, you know, they must not have known that thing, but it kind of negates a lot of the mask wearing on the sideline to have that going on on the field anyway. Well, I think that's that's part of what we've wondered through this whole through this whole thing, right? I mean, that you know, as many things as you can control with the protocols, there's obviously still a ton of interactions that you can't control, and there's just I mean, there's no way around it, right? I mean, I, I just I mean, you know, you can't have guys playing masks on the field. It's sort of that. I, I don't I don't know what you would do. Yeah, it's it's a obviously a very tricky situation, and and you're asking effectively these these young men to bubble themselves, and that's the group exactly that does not want to bubble themselves during this whole process. Is uh, you know people who want to go on with their lives and are enjoying it. All right, well, let's let's uh, give Josh a chance for a reader here, and then we'll be right. back with the OL. All right, and you guys are being a little too nice trying to talk about this game in 20 years, like we'll care about what happened on the field. Sports is all about myth and legend, so in 20 years, it'll all be about, about Lamar running to the toilet. Whether it's true or not, that's going to be the story in 20 years. <laughs> um, speaking of this weekend, if you want to hop on board over at my bookie, right now the line is 13 points. You can hop on board with the Ravens if uh, you think they can really run the score up on the Jags, or if not, take the other side. But either way, head on over to my bookie, and when you make your deposit using the promo code RAVENS, They'll match you halfway and give you a head start on building your bankroll. For instance, put in $400 and they'll give you an extra $200 to play with. 
Join in and deposit in is simple, it's quick, and more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. Use the code RAVENS for them to match you halfway and also help out the Film Study Podcast. All right. Thanks, Josh. Uh, we'll jump right in where we first do every week with the offensive line. Talk a little bit about the about what happened there. And uh, Childs, just jump in whenever you like here, of course. Uh, overall, the Ravens had 56 scored snaps in this game. They did have a spike. That didn't count. Two and a half of the four sacks were charged to the offensive line. They didn't allow any other quarterback hits in this game. So two and a half sacks is still a ton for 24 dropbacks in this game. So that's not good. Uh, they also allowed eight pressures. Uh, Lamar ran out of some other pressures. And one of the things you'll see this week is if you look on PFF, they've got a lot lower scores on the linemen. One of the things that's showing up in there is that they've allocated pressures on plays where I allowed the linemen to be run out of a pressure by Lamar. In fact, Ronnie Stanley had that happen a lot last year, but it's happened some of this year to Phillips and, and some other players certainly in this game. Uh Let's see, what else is going on here? Ample time and space on 25% of dropbacks, 6 out of 24. That's better, amazingly, than the first game where Lamar had 4 out of 27 ample time and spaces. That's a three-second pocket, as we say at Childs. Lamar, that first game, had a 152 rating despite that real lack of time. Yeah. um, I I, I don't know if you want to talk about an overall sense. I I mean, I I thought the line line played pretty well as, as a total... Entity, I mean, you know, aside from the, especially the problems that Phillips had early in the mm-hmm. game before they before they really went to Fluker, and I thought especially on the interior, I, I thought I thought the guards played very well. Um, so I, I mean, I don't I don't think you chalk this up as a disappointing game for the line overall. I mean, even even with Garrett, I, I mean, he had a couple he had a couple big plays. He had the big play on McSorley at the end that that he blew up. But I mean, mm-hmm. I thought by and large they handled him fairly well. Yeah, I, I I do think they did that fairly well, and and you know my standard for what I expect in in taking care of Miles Garrett is pretty loose, frankly. I mean, he's obviously the most dominant pass rusher in the game, or close to it. Aaron Donald may be ahead of him in terms of an edge rusher. He probably is it. Uh, but Brown is Brown drew him most of the game. He allowed four pressures. Brown also missed eight blocks. He's having a hard time contributing on the backside of run blocks. Ravens have a primarily right-handed run game, so that puts him on the backside of those plays a lot. Um, he's had some hard times uh, contributing there. Uh, he had a one-sixth contribution to a sack. Uh, he made three of his four pulls, which was nice, and and a lot of those, uh, you know, several of those were these counters where the Ravens were running the opposite direction. Uh, anyway, C for him for the game. Uh, Bozeman, I thought, played well. One pressure, a sixth of a sack, three missed blocks. Here's the big number for Bozeman. It's the number you should be looking at every week. 13 of 14 made pulls in this game. So the Ravens, obviously, he drives the power run game. The notion that Bozeman can be moved to center, I think, is – I don't think it's on the table inside the castle anywhere where they know how important he is to driving that game with his success pulling. Well, I mean, cer- certainly not in the short term because, I mean, he's – He's proven, he's proven to be such, such a solution where he is. And I mean, I Macari, Macari to me is playing fine at center. You know, certainly, certainly well enough to hold that job for the rest of this year. So, I mean, I'm sure they'll look at the whole big picture of the offensive line in the offseason. They they have some decisions to make there, but um, I, I I like Bozeman where he is absolutely. Yeah, 
Me too. So McCarry also solid in this game. Third of a sack, one false start. It was unfortunate. Second straight week with a false start. You shouldn't have that happen at center very often, by the way. But he moved the football this time. Last last week, he snapped it late, and the false start got a charge to Bredesen. But since the entire line moved, it's pretty clear it's his false start. Uh, three missed blocks in this game. One thing I look for with McCarry, because there's an arm length issue, and with several Ravens interior players, that's really an issue, um, is how often he gets shed. He was shed twice in this game. That's not too bad for 56 plays. So, uh, you know, relatively decent. Uh, I agree with you. This, I think the center job is his for the rest of the season. And I don't think he's really a legitimate tackle option. I know we keep hearing this and he did play well there for a half against new England, but I don't really believe he's a legitimate tackle issue. I think that the Ravens will get their tackle play out of the three guys, even though Phillips has had a lot of problems that we've seen there the last two games. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, Obviously, they don't they, they don't have a perfect solution at right tackle, right? That's what that's why we're talking about this week after week. Um, but I don't think you create problems elsewhere to try to solve that problem. I, I guess is how I would look at it right now. <laughs> yeah, and the, the Ravens have have indicated by their actions that's how they solve problems with single change solutions as opposed to reshuffles where you make you have to make three changes to go to uh, do one. The last time Harbaugh did that made a really big change like that was entering the 2012 playoffs when they finally put McKinney after, after sitting him the whole season, moved or to right tackle, which was, that was a great relief to get him out of left tackle and then moved assembly to left guard where he drove a lot of that postseason run with the, uh, with some great play. Yeah. And I mean, that was, uh, I mean, when you look back on the 12 run, I think that was as big a move as, as, as any move they made that, that, that shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Um, all right, so B for McCarry in this game. Uh, Powers, uh, he had no penalties in the game. He scored well by my system, but he was a beneficiary of Lamar running out of pressure that he had a hand in. He's physical in the run game. One of the things we, we, we harp on occasionally with Powers is his length. Uh, he's got above average length on that interior where everybody else is fairly short-armed, uh, especially now that they move Phillips to tackle. And uh, and he's using it quite well. He had five missed blocks, one third of a sack in this, a B after adjustment. And again, I think now Powers has five NFL games essentially under his belt. And I do not see him losing that right guard spot with as well as he's played there for the rest of this year. And I think he's turned into a pretty interesting story overall this year, because, I mean, you had you had a lot of people suggesting that he, he might be cut in camp, right? I mean, he was, he was, guarded, right. <laughs> he was guarded as maybe on the wrong side of the bubble, you know, in, in those, in those days right before cutdown day. So, I mean, to go from there to being a guy that at this point they're plugging in and sort of, you don't, you don't even worry that much about him week to week. I mean, that's, that's quite a, that's quite an evolution in 14 weeks. Yeah. Do you have any insight into this in terms of what the Ravens were seeing at practice that it took so long for him to get his real chance. I mean, he didn't get a, he didn't get any playing time as a rookie and there were opportunities to get him in and they put an A injury and other places ahead of him for, for some playing time. And then in, in 2020, you know, they have him snapping the ball at center and, you know, moving all over the place. And like you say, he's really a bubble player when they've got new drafted players that they're giving more opportunity than him. And Fluker is also sitting aside and that still doesn't create an opportunity for him. And and what is happening? Do you have any sense of what's going on at practice or anything from the saltiness of responses that would tell you that there's some problem? I I don't necessarily get that sense at this point. I, I guess my feeling um, back in camp was that I think in some ways he just doesn't fit their ideal image of an offensive lineman. I mean, he's not he's not this giant ornery you know powerhouse guy, which I think in their 
in their sort of mind's eye, that's their, that's still their ideal, you know, especially of an interior lineman. And I'm, I don't, I don't know. I, I, beyond that, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard for me to say because I feel like when he's been given opportunities, even, even in that Pittsburgh game last year, I, yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought he handled himself just fine. So, yeah, he, uh, you know, and in that sense, I think he's, he's done well with what he's been given. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and the only issue with him has been some penalties and the Ravens have a tremendous track record of cleaning up penalties, holding penalties, stupid penalties on offensive linemen in particular. Haven't necessarily been able to clean up roughing the passer penalties, but but holding penalties on offensive linemen they've had real good success with. And Powers has cleaned it up the last three games, no penalties, and look great. And uh, and that's been a big part of him turning the season around. Anyway, uh, very happy with him. Fluker started the game. I'm sorry, Phillips started the game at right tackles. Let's talk about him. He only had 13 scored snaps. Went in for a stretch where he played 12 snaps at in initially. Uh, he, he had portions of three sacks. The last one came on his second stint in the game, which lasted a grand total of one snap. So he allowed that sack, and then that was it. They pulled him, and they and they put Fluker in for the rest of the game. So uh, Phillips had zero net points scored on 13 snaps in this, uh, which, to give you an idea, he would have had to have approximately 16 perfect snaps from that point forward to get to a D-minus level. So that's not ideal. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, it's not ideal. Uh, PFF just just uh, dumped three sacks on him. I, I didn't really see it that way. I had one and a half sacks out of the out of the way, but I always you know apportion out those as as I see fit uh, from them and never never give out more than than that in total. Um, anyway, uh, Fluker, uh, big game. Vernon had a had a huge game over there, and it wasn't until Fluker was really playing regularly that they got him under control a little bit. He still had two and a half pressures against Fluker. Fluker missed four blocks, but Fluker was a monster in the run game. Three highlight combination blocks. That was half of the team total for highlights. Five blocks in level two. He's, he led the team in that. He was one for one on pulls. He doesn't really pull very much ever, but he did in this game. Uh, one time anyway. And he, he looked more mobile than he has at any time this season, not just more physical. Yeah, this might have been, I, I don't know by your grading, but it might have been his best game of the year. Mm-hmm. Was, was it? Not for his grading, but but I agree that but qualitatively, he, he definitely demonstrated things. It was a C game, uh, very important. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. When your backup tackle gets a C, that's usually fantastic. Right. Um, but uh, the guy they're missing right now, and you know, we're talking about the right tackle situation, but it's really the left tackle situation. I don't know what would happen if Brown went down at this point. I guess they would move Fluker over there and keep Phillips on the right side, which is a, a book, a pair of scary sounding bookends at this point. And it really begs the question of why they didn't try and make it work with Will Holden while he was here, because I think he could have provided them with something on the left side. At least he has played over there at the NFL level. No, I agree with you. And I mean, when you, you know, I, I, I always think about it in terms of, uh, I mean, every week, you know, who are the guys that they could least afford to lose? And I mm-hmm. think Orlando is real close to the top of that list right now. I mean, even, even, even though he's not Ronnie in, in terms of left tackle, I mean, he's, He's absolutely indispensable right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a, a very big drop off. That's for certain. And the Ravens have had that big drop off before. They've they've had to deal with it. You know, when they've lost Monroe at times, or when they had to had Gaither decide he didn't want to play football anymore. On the that's probably right at the beginning of your tenure yeah. with with football, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was an ugly situation. But anyway, uh, we did we talked about Phillips. Skura came in, made eight of nine blocks as a sixth offensive lineman. Uh, he's playing very well in that role. I'm glad he's still able to do it. Bredesen is obviously out of a job. The other guy who, who 
you know, there was talk about Tristan Colon Castillo staying at center. I think people kind of overstated, you know, exactly what he provided the Ravens in, in, in the game. Glad he could fill in once, but, uh, you know, there, there was nothing there for me that said he's the answer for, you know, all time going forward. And McCarry's played well there since. Yeah, I thought with, with Colon Castillo, I, I thought the excitement about it was about the moment, right? I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that he's sort of thrown into the breach and he didn't fall apart. I mean, which, you know, in in of itself that week felt like a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it did. It really, if, if the snaps were on target, you know, things things went right that, that were generally supposed to go right in that game. I think a lot of people appreciate that. We're talking about a lot of different players here. And one of the things that, that, that I keep thinking about this team is how lucky they are to get to December with all this depth on the offensive line. Now they have an unusual situation where they have a lot of guys who are probably just above the replacement level, you know, they're not D or D minus players, they're C players and they have to now pick. And that's, it's been a hard process for them to find who the guys are, but I think they finally got it now. I think they finally know who their five guys are with this game in particular. It'll be Fluker at right tackle. I think we knew the four guys on the left side before that, but it's it's remarkable they have so many players they can still draw on at this point, which is probably some of the reason it was hard for them to find a spot for Holden. Well, and I mean, I think honestly that was this was the way we probably talked about the offensive line even way back way back to camp that they they had a lot of they had a lot of bodies they had a lot of guys that were at least interesting enough that that you might want to play them. It just wasn't clear that they had the five, right? <clears throat> yep. Yep. Completely agree. All right, let's talk about Lamar a little bit. Uh, obviously, he won the AFC Player of the Week. And I, I'm just looking back at this and saying, you know, he completed 11 passes. He only had 17 attempts, but he completed 11 passes and he was sacked four times. There can't be too many times a quarterback is one player of the week under those circumstances. Nice thing about Twitter is there's a lot of people who take your rhetorical, you know, uh, wonderings and they look it up and there could be an actual answer on that. So that's terrific. Anyway, Bobby Douglas went eight for 20 in a game in 1970. You think of Bobby Douglas, maybe he had a lot of running yards. He had five carries for 12 yards in that game, but he had eight, eight for 20 for four touchdowns. He was player of the week. So that was the, the, the best comp we could find for this Lamar game. Of course, it was a lot more normal to only attempt uh, 20 passes in those days too, right? Yeah, there you go. And, and to complete eight, it wasn't the end of the exactly. world. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, Lamar in this game, I thought still frustrating in terms of the missed passes down that left hash uh, on consecutive plays where the line did actually provide him pretty good time, both those opportunities. He just seems to be that quarterback. And we saw this in the first Cleveland game in particular when facing with a, a disadvantaged secondary in particular who just does a little bit better when he's not thinking as much because he's thinking about moving around and, and getting the ball off. And I think he's also proven with Cleveland, he's got a little bit more gravitational pull, as I think Jonas called it, on that defense to bring them forward. The one, the one thing I wonder a little bit about those two consecutive throws is he, he has, his comments have indicated to some degree that that is when his arms started to cramp up. Um, you know, that he talked about it again today and so did Harbaugh. Um, I guess that started in his left arm, but he said he did feel it in his throwing arm. And it was around that time. And I don't know if that contributed to him sailing those two balls. I mean, certainly we've seen him sail balls in weeks when he was completely healthy. Um, but it, it's it's at least interesting to to wonder that. And those were two those were two big plays, obviously. I mean, the, the one to see oh, yeah. would have gone for 30 yards and the and the Andrews one, that, that was a touchdown. So I mean, those were uh Right. You know. It's it, if it were 
If the sailing balls was the only issue, I'd be on the train with that. But here's the problem. The first ball, he needed to throw the line drive to Snead to get it done. The second ball, he needed more arc on that ball and depth on that ball to get Andrews to run under it. Andrews had beaten the defender. So uh, that's what that's the problem is it's like two different things. So if he'd said, you know, I sailed both those balls because my arm hurt and that's how he should have thrown them, that would be one thing. But it's but it wasn't really the case. The second throw needed a different um, uh, artillery trajectory, we'll call it, to get to the right spot. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. On that fourth and five play, we have to talk about that. The great thing about that, and I, this great Cleveland Browns writer, uh, Jake Burns, who was on our show, as I know your folks show, last week, and he, he had a great piece on this that I'd really encourage anybody to read about how the Browns lost containment on that play. But essentially, a six-man pass rush came, and the Ravens blocked it with five because they only had to really put a wall up to keep that the edge of the pocket safe. They fooled the edge defender. They got him to take bait inside on that play. The other blitzers were coming through the middle of the line, and it was they were all caught in their own wash as Lamar rolled right, had time, and those two poor defensive backs didn't know what to do. So they let Marquise Brown go and, and, uh, and basically tried to corral Lamar, and that didn't work, of course. Well, I, think, I think it was actually Vernon who ran into the defensive back who was covering, who ran into the quarterback who was covering Marquise. I think I think that's what I saw when when I, when Vern, I watched Vernon it. Drop? Vernon I, dropped on that play. I, I I think I I think so. Now I I could be wrong about that, but that that's what I recall seeing when I, when I watched the game again. Um, but there was a collision, and you know, to Lamar's credit, he he recognized right away that Marquise had broken free, you know, but behind that collision, and uh, he made the play. I mean, I guess I guess the throw itself wasn't that inherently difficult, but I mean, the circumstances and the recognition. I mean, you know, it's as we talked about earlier, it's one of the Delible players that we'll remember uh, in the history of the team. It 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 sure is. And it is as nice to me that it wasn't an overthrown ball. You don't take any risk on an overthrown ball in that situation. He underthrew it as as was right because there was so much space, and then Hollywood had to get started again. But there was still plenty of time to do it. So, just a it's it's one of those perfectly thrown balls. When Lamar has had easy targets like that, and I particularly think of this on rollouts to the right where Lamar has to has an open receiver in front of them, he's often grounded the football unnecessarily. So I always have that fear that he's going to misthrow the football when he tries to hand it to a receiver. I think it was good in this case. He at least had to get it over the defense normally. Well, and, and I wonder too, I mean, you, you said earlier, you feel like he's almost a better thrower when he doesn't have to overthink it. And this was an example of that, right? I mean, you know, between, oh, yeah. between the game situation, what had to be the adrenaline of coming out of the tunnel, going into the game without, without even a warm up throw. And then, you know, he's, he's rolling out. I mean, that, that probably isn't a, uh, throw where you overexamine it right and maybe maybe that that fits perfectly yeah that's 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 exactly it i mean that's all god-given talent and and you know if you've ever played pool regularly and a lot of people i know in baltimore play pool the leagues are big here if if you're a if you really want to take your time with every single shot it's not necessarily when you're playing your best when you when you know it you just boom 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 you go right through and and that's where lamar was on fourth and five there uh just had that ability so let's see what else we got. Uh, running were amazing. I it, what really struck me is how long it took them to get his shoes changed in that first half. <laughs> that was certainly uh, that was certainly fascinating. I I don't I don't and and Harbaugh got asked about the field today and he said he said he didn't have a problem with the field conditions. That I mean that's just the reality of playing on you know these northern northern fields in in December or January. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, they, they didn't, they didn't get it worked out until halftime. Um, but, uh, man, I just, you know, going back and watching the game again, he just, uh, he scrambled brilliantly. I thought, I mean, mm-hmm. there were design runs too. And, and some, some of those were big plays, but, um, I think there were at least three in, in on their first few drives where he scrambled yeah. for first downs. Um, yeah. Five scrambles in the game. And, and I, I completely agree with you, but, but when the Cleveland was playing this man defense and basically everybody's got responsibilities, that's when Lamar is at his best scrambling. And there were so many opportunities and Lamar took advantage of them perfectly. A, a lot of the other design runs early in the year where they're still trying to do zone read. And we had Michael Crawford on the show. He, he, we, we talked a little bit about this. I want to make sure he gets credit. I'm not trying to name drop here, but the, the key is that um, we think he may have lost some lateral movement with that groin injury that he doesn't have the ability to use his ability to read leverage as effectively on those outside zone reads where, where he's the runner going, going to the outside. And so they've been using him most of this year on the inside. Although, I mean, the biggest run he had in the game was the one that was designed for him to go inside. Then then he kicks it outside, mm-hmm. and he kind of uses that remarkable improvisational ability where he he weaves his way through seven or eight different different yeah. defenders. And, I mean, that's just – that's where he's magical, right? I mean, there's just nobody uh, – there's nobody else like him. No, it's 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 always fun to watch. And, and don't ever take this for granted. If you've just gotten into the Ravens, maybe because of Lamar, or maybe you're just coming of age as a, as a football fan – don't ever forget it because there's not going to be another Lamar that comes along. You know, you know, when I was a kid, it was Burt Jones and there wasn't another Burt Jones. All of a sudden he got hurt. And and that was the end of good quarterback play in Baltimore for the entire Colt era. Well, right. Which, and, and, and the beginning of the Ravens era, really, I mean, except for the, the one yeah. Tessa season, I mean, you, we had a, what a 30, 35 year run of uh, sketchy quarterbacking. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a dry spell to be certain, and and uh, Flacco was was good enough to get the job done. It was a great clutch playoff quarterback, but you're right, all those quarterbacks in between, my God, what a what a bad group. Uh, so anyway, we're uh, we're lucky, and we we should know it right now. Uh, both teams scored at will with the run game. Cleveland didn't even get into a goal to go situation inside the five yard line the whole game, and yet they set this rushing record for most touchdowns by both teams in a game with nine. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole game. I mean, especially, especially the second half. I mean, it just felt, it felt like the boulder was sort of rolling downhill on both sides, and you know who was going to have the ball last, right? I mean, because he certainly had no sense that the Ravens had any ability to stop the Browns in in, in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, it was uh, it was fascinating. I mean, this that's not the kind of game we usually expect to see this team play, right? I mean, it was no. uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody is hurt for the Ravens having Levine in at slot corner is obviously big a disadvantage. That is a time where you can make different game decisions. And so one of the things I really thought is, first of all, if Lamar had run for the first down, it might have actually given the Ravens a better chance to win the game because they could have potentially held the ball for a couple more first downs, kicked a field goal to win it. Another thing I thought of was, and, and this is not necessarily true, it's probably wrong, but if Hollywood had gone down at the 20, they might have had a better chance to win the game. Hollywood going down at the one, I think actually would not have been a better chance to win the game. And so it's a, a strange thing because the Ravens had to have a chance to get a first down to run the entire clock out. So I, I, I project on these situations, but one game you'll remember from, from only four years ago was that Christmas Day game at December where they left way too much time yep. on the clock for Pittsburgh. And and Juszczyk had a chance to kneel at the one-yard line. And 
I, I don't blame him because that word's got to come in from the sideline, of course. But uh, anyway, the Ravens certainly, I think, took a hit to win probability on that play. Anyway, thinking about it, how they actually won the game, they won it with the redraw value of actually letting Cleveland score, tie the game, okay. and, then, and then come back. So anyway, it is what it is. Let's talk some scheme. Um, I, I, one of the things that was, I thought, particularly impressive about the Ravens' run game was they still ran the ball effectively, even when they had McSorley at quarterback. So despite the fact that you would expect Cleveland to be jamming that box and and making McSorley beat them, they they were still able to run the ball effectively. Yeah, I was uh, that the the McSorley drive that obviously ended up with the Lamar touchdown. um, I mean, that's really exceeded my expectations from the beginning of that drive. Now, I mean, I guess McSorley really wasn't given a fair chance on his first drive because Hollywood drops the ball, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, who, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it showed that their basic run concept can work, you know, even without even without a, a remarkable talent at quarterback. And look, I guess we saw that in, in the Steelers game too, right? With with RG three, I mean, they they were able to, to run the ball fairly effectively for stretches of that game. So, I mean, I guess there's there's a reason that Greg Roman has managed to uh, you know run such productive ground offenses, no matter what personnel he's had in various places, right? Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. Thinking about McSorley's game here, I thought the third and 10 throw to Sneed really will be remembered in this game as one of the really, obviously, big clutch plays. The Ravens had to have it. You know, he he threw it. It was, it was right on the money. Sneed made a great grab on the play, which is an extra kind of little kicker to it. But I think it makes it also one of the one of the plays. The, the, the comparable play from the Mile High Miracle is the third and 13 throw to Pitta that got him off the, what, the three-yard line, I guess. Oh. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's one of those plays that, that I think we'll remember from this game. And I have to confess, I sort of glossed over that play in my mind when I was watching the game live. So when I'm writing about it that night in the middle of the night, I, I didn't really have that play in my mind. But then when I went back and watched the game, I was like, holy, holy crap, that was a that was a huge play. And a great catch by by Snead, I thought. I mean, as you said, the ball was on the money, but it was it was it was high and it was a tight tight space. And look, I mean, Snead Snead's a very tough player, and and I mean that uh that that was sort of a perfect moment for him, and and a huge moment in the game. Yeah, it had all kinds of strip potential, given that it was high. He had to bring it into the body, and then it looked like he was having actually a little bit of trouble holding on to it. But he but he did. It was a it was a it was a great play. And uh, yeah, Snead's been a been a marvelous player for the Ravens this year. Um. You know, one of the things that that's look good in this, we play every six days, every other team plays every seven days run, <laughs> has been that the Ravens consistently seem to look fresher. The, the Cowboys were on 12 days, the Ravens on six last time, the, you know, the Browns on seven, the Ravens on six this time. Uh, I guess the Steelers and Ravens were fairly similar after, after a long, uh, you know, layoff. But I, I'm, it's, I think it's been remarkable the Ravens have looked so fresh and able to run the ball in these last two games. Yeah, and... I mean, you wonder if did did some guys benefit from having time off? I mean, I yeah, I guess you can't really say you benefit from having COVID, right? I mean, but but it um it does affect different people differently. I mean, Harbaugh talked about that t- that today, and I mean, certainly Lamar in particular has talked about um, coming back feeling refreshed. I don't know about physically, but definitely mentally. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to parse all this stuff, right? But but I, I mean, absolutely agree with you. I mean, they they've played with a uh, with sustained intensity throughout these games. I get the the defense looked maybe a little tired at the end, mm-hmm. you know, but, but some of that is just uh, not of enough body. So. 
Yeah, they were undermanned. And and on the defensive line, Campbell is not right. And and that's that's a whole lot. And, and whoever else might be benefiting from COVID, I don't think it's Calais Campbell. I think he's he's had the calf injury and he looks really slow on the field from that. But he may also be sombering some lingering after effects and just feels like he needs to be out there because the Ravens defensive line is in some horrible straits right now. Now, he did say today that he felt better on Monday than he had the previous Tuesday and that he felt better today than he did on Monday and, and certainly better than he did at this point last week. So he still feels like he's moving in the right direction. So maybe that gives us some hope that, you know, he'll be close to the player that he wants to be by, by, you know, week, week 16, week 17. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the camp that you sit in because I don't think the Ravens can really afford to do that. But on the other hand, I do believe anytime they have him active, they really have to have five linemen active because you can't, you can't have four, have one of them be Campbell, have somebody else get injured, and then you're really shorthanded. And they've been through that already a couple of weeks against Tennessee and New England where they had injury problems show up during the game that they really didn't have the manpower for. And then I know we don't want to get you know, off track with defense, but... Uh, no, we, we love getting off track on the show. <laughs> we really do. It's exactly but, what we live for. But they certainly had to take heart, I think, from, from how well Matt Abiket played on, on, yes. on, on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, terrific game, and, and and his best as a Raven, I think, to date. Uh, but yeah, uh, what else do we have to say about the offense in this game? I think one of the things that has not been as big an issue as I expected it to be was the continued good blocking they're getting from the tight ends. Tomlinson, uh, you know, it was Culkin briefly. It was Wilson for a couple, what, three games in there or so before he got hurt. Um, and now Tomlinson, you know, he only played about ten snaps in this game, but he really looked good as a blocker. I thought. Yeah, I did too. And um, I mean, we've 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 all written about. I mean, I think Andrews has made really good strides as a blocker overall this year. I did. I, I have to confess, I did not pay super close attention to how he blocked on Monday. Maybe, I'm I'm sure you you probably have a better idea of that than than I do. Um, but then also, I'm I'm writing. Uh, I'm actually working on a story about Ricard this week. And I, I mean, I know he's mm-hmm. I know he's not a tight end, but they talk about him as a quasi tight end, and they use him as quasi tight end sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think he's been terrific the last few weeks. I mean, playing playing a lot of snaps, and uh, I mean, he just he eats up linebackers and and even defensive ends. I mean, you know, you you watch the game film from from Monday, and I mean, he's at the point of attack on a lot of their a lot of their big runs. So uh, right, yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, having the sixth and the seventh offensive lineman they have with Boyle and Ricard, but even if it's Tomlinson and Ricard, that's that's been pretty good, or Wilson and Ricard. Um, that's that's been very good. It's when they have to go to Skura, they're really compromising what they do. In the, I, actually, this is probably true with Ricard too. When Ricard goes out in the pattern, I don't think he's really very much of a threat. Um, but when when Ricard is on the end of the line of scrimmage, then you're already kind of signaling a limited set of routes to the opponent. So you, you know Andrews there, much bigger threat. They have to completely respect that when he's in line um in, in order in, in order what they do and they kind of have to respect it with Wilson I think a little bit too but I I'm just I'm just so encouraged in terms of what they've been since they've lost Boyle because I thought that was going to be a huge detriment it was really going to impact their ability to run the football and that really hasn't been the case no I mean this this is their best two game running stretch of the season right oh there you go one interesting thing, the two-point conversion. They've run a handful of pony backfields this year, but they ran pony. So they had Edwards lined up next to Jackson and jet motion from Dobbins right to left. Uh, and it ended up being Edwards who made the key block to lead that play into the end zone. And then Dobbins, of course, beats Sendejo pad on pad at the goal line. 
Uh, very nice to see creativity come out at a time like that. It's almost like pulling out the Philly special in terms of how creative the Ravens ever get with something like that. Yeah, that, no, that was that was that was a cool little moment, um, and and probably one that was again easy to overlook in the greater greater story of the game, right? But 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 I, you know, that that jumped out to me too. Again, when I watched the game, it was uh, it was neat. Yeah, it would have been it would have been an extra level of drama to having having it be a win or lose kick for Tucker as opposed to a win or tie kick for Tucker at the end of the game there. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh misdirection we talked a little bit about earlier. They had a lot of two-man misdirection. That ate up the Browns linebackers in this game. The 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 pulls from left to right from uh Brown and and Bozeman at the same time. Another I, I didn't mention this for Bozeman earlier, but I'm gonna forget if I don't say it right now. His fumble recovery was one of the biggest plays of the game. Dobbins, you know, grounded the football. I think the ball rolled about three, four yards forward. Bozeman jumped on it. Obviously, the Browns jump on it. It's a pretty good chance that that's game over right then But because uh, they'll only need about one first down at that point. But uh, very big play. I guess you could also say that at that point in the game, the Ravens uh, deserved to recover a fumble, right? It was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the, the fates had been against them early, so, so it, uh, it, it, it needed to tilt. <laughs> yeah, if it, I guess they've had five forced fumbles the last two weeks. They didn't recover. It may be more than that, but but four by Humphrey alone, right? I thought it was two in the Pittsburgh game. I'm kind of pulling games together, but anyway, four and then the one by by Peters. But you're absolutely right; they needed to recover one. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. We hope we don't have to do anything about this. Are you seeing a big role for Des Bryant? coming out of the COVID situation just from the fact that he can practice and the others can't this week? Um, I mean, obviously I think we, I mean, we would see a big role if, if one or more of those guys, I mean, I mean, if Boykin and, and uh, Marquise can't play, then, I mean, he would be shoved into a big role. Um, I guess, no, I, I mean, I don't see a big role for him if all those guys play. Um, I, I still think they would probably like to, Try and see if there's a few situations where they can make use of him. I don't know if that would be red zone situations or if it would be more like we saw in the Tennessee game where, you know, they're throwing those sort of quick ball control throws to him outside. Um, I don't feel like they've had great success throwing to their other receivers on, on those kind of plays and they could use more of those plays in, in, in their game plan. So I guess I could see some, some, some role there, but I, I don't think you can expect too much. It's, that's where I am at this point. I, I certainly didn't expect much when they picked him up. They've thrown to him seven times now for 28 yards. And, you know, people who talked about the big upside and whatnot, it's been surprisingly more than expected that he would have gotten as many snaps played as he has since the Ravens signed him. I mean, I thought, okay, there's a number of hurdles he has to get to even get one catch. One is he has to come and pass a conditioning test. And then he's going to have to practice. And they're going to have to really believe that he can get on the field and help them and not drop the football and be on the same page as Lamar in practice. And then he's going to have to get on, get on the field and he's going to have to not botch his first couple of opportunities or there might not be more. And sure enough, he, he kind of cleared every hurdle sequentially. The only thing we really haven't seen is any hope that he could generate an explosive play for this team. But I guess also to be fair to him, I don't know that we can really judge what he has based on the opportunities he's been given in games. Now, I guess you can get into, you know, is 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 he getting open? Is he getting separation? I mean, I, I don't I don't think he was getting a ton of separation near the end in Dallas, right? I mean, that, right. that was that was that was part of the complaint. So, um, you know, you, you have to have those questions, but I, I don't think you can just say he has nothing to give either, because because I don't I don't know that we've seen him tested enough to say that. 
That's fair enough. And, and you, you make a great point back in the Dallas days, though. He had 300 exactly targets in his last three years in Dallas and 150 exactly receptions. That 50% catch rate is completely unacceptable for a wide receiver. And yet it's it's different than what you see on any kind of practice video of a very large catch radius guy, which tells me he's probably not a particularly good contested catch guy when it really comes to NFL games. Yeah. Um all right, so this is a part of the show we normally pick players. You're the guest. Pick a player you want to talk about, and we'll we'll do that, and then I'll pick one. Uh, well, I guess we could we could talk about Gus Edwards. We haven't we haven't talked about talked about him too much to this point. Um, I thought he made some really clever reads as, as a runner, where 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 he got to the outside. I mean, you know, people. I think people probably still have the image of him as this sort of pure battering ram runner, and he and and he is that. But I mean, on on both of his touchdowns. Um, he made really clever moves to the outside. And I think he's, you know, just listening to him talk. I mean, I think he's wanted to show that, you know, this year and mm-hmm. has felt like he has that skill set and has, has really worked on it, but to see him, uh, see him do it in such essential situations and uh, make it work. I, I thought was really impressive. I mean, you, you talked about the, you talked about how effective they were on the misdirection. I mean, on that first touchdown that he scored, I, that, that was a really good example of that. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. line's going the other way. Lamar, I mean, I mean, first of all, you probably think Lamar's going to keep the ball in that situation, but he doesn't. He hands it off to Gus, and then the thought is, well, Gus will just go up the middle. But he 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 reads the play and sees that it's essentially set up for Lamar to go outside, so he goes outside, and and, and he scores. And and it's just good to see that flexibility from him. I, I just really really impressed with that. Yeah, so that's you're you're mentioning the first read. I couldn't agree more in terms of that. What I've also been impressed with is when he has to make one man miss, how much of his speed, how much of his momentum he conserves as he moves on the field with a slight snaky cut. And by the way, a runner like Gus Edwards, who weighs 235 pounds plus. That's all he needs to do. If he can get on the shoulder of that defensive back who's trying to try to bring him down, that's usually going to be how he makes that guy miss. He doesn't have to be like Lamar and, and you know, make him fall over <laughs> trying to catch him. He just needs to make him not hit him squarely. And I've been very impressed with that on, on the edge. He had a great run we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it might have been last week, where he had just a snaky little cut to the outside, but maintained all of his speed effectively. And uh, I think he's been very good at that this year. All right, let me pick a player here. I, I want to talk about Marquise Brown. Obviously, big hands problem for most of this game. Came up with the big catch that he needed to. Uh, I I wonder what the thoughts are around the castle about who he's been this year, both as a receiver and with hands, but also maybe in terms of, of how his teammates and the coaches are viewing him in terms of, of how he's behaved. Yeah, I mean, certainly the the signal moment for that was was the tweet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, everybody tried to sort of get past that quickly, and you know, that that was certainly the way that Harbaugh dealt with it. Didn't didn't make a big deal of it. Said you know, it was understandable frustration in the moment. I talked to him; he responded to it the way that I wanted him to respond. I, you certainly, I mean, not not based on anything that anybody said. Do you do you get the sense that? People have questions about him or his commitment. I mean, you know, so I don't, I haven't gotten that sense. On the other hand, this is, this is a very different year in terms of covering the team because mm-hmm. we're not in the locker room. I mean, you know, we can't just circulate and, you know, talk to people off the cuff. Um, 
you know, everything's on Zoom. And so everything sort of feels more formal. So I think if there was that sense, we probably wouldn't be able to read it as well this year as, as we would in a normal year. But I certainly have not gotten that sense based on anything I've heard. And, and look, I mean, the bottom line is we've still seen over the last three weeks. I mean, he brings an element to the team that, that no one else brings. I mean, he, he can still get behind the defense. And mm-hmm. he's had a touchdown in each of the last three games. He certainly had a, an uneven season. But, I mean, they don't want to go into a game without him at this point because they don't have another guy like him. That's absolutely true. Uh, all right, your turn. You've got another player you want to talk about? Um, well, I guess we can we can stick with the with the, with the running backs um, with, with with Dobbins. Um, I, I I do think. I mean, they don't really have a number one running back still. I I, I wouldn't say, but but if but if you if, if they did have one, he's he's probably it, right? And um, he just I guess he has he has the best the best rounded package. Um, although it would be it would be interesting to see them try to use him more as a receiver. We we still haven't seen that. I mean, he was touted. He was touted as having that ability coming in, um, and I know there was some debate of, about that among draft scouts. But I mean, I, we, we haven't seen too much of that. But um, he is a very, very fun to watch as as a runner. I think. I mean, the the, the vision and the, and the balance. I mean, I think he tends to get what he can get out of out of a carry. And you know, we saw that. I mean, he didn't have a huge explosive play on Monday, but he had some very significant games at, at significant times of the game, and. Um, you know, to to me, he's making the case to get the ball more every week. I mean, I you know, I I don't I don't see that direction changing at this point. So I completely agree in terms of the vision and balance. The Ravens haven't had a guy like him since Ray Rice. I mean, they haven't had anybody with that kind of a low center of gravity who's able to go to the tripod, you know, hand down with with two feet and still get up and you know spin out of that and maintain his his contact. That was really important at the goal line. And that two point conversion critically important that that he's able to 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 not get knocked over, knocked back, knocked any other direction that might have might have landed him short uh, uh, last night. I'm I'm agree agree with you completely about the receiving component. Ray Rice had more of that. One of the things is Ray Rice is always in on third down. Dobbins is typically in on third down. Dobbins has proven to be a very good pass blocker, which is an unusual thing that they might be wanting to use him for that more and and open up more opportunity with a receiving weapon, meaning a wide receiver or a tight end, as opposed to getting him into, into the pattern. But it seems very natural that that a, a quarterback like Lamar, who extend, extends plays very well, is going to want a – uh, check down option, even though often we think of Lamar as the check down option himself, is that his ability to run is that. And I mean, nobody else has stepped into that role this year. And I mean, I feel like we've seen drives throughout this year that feel like they stalled because they didn't have they they didn't have that guy. I mean, I feel like we've seen lots of opportunities that would have been there that way that, that haven't been converted. And so I, I mean, I, they're. They're sort of crying out for that player right now, I think. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, Ingram obviously did a lot of that last year, but this year, Edwards and Hill, who've been on the field a little bit more, particularly in recent weeks, haven't looked good as receivers. So it's it, it really has to be Dobbins on third down. And uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's talk about Mark Andrews at this point. Obviously, this was a really nice game, I thought, for for the telepathic connection, whatever you want to call it between Andrews and Jackson showing up well in terms of uh, off-scripted extended plays. 
Yeah, I mean the first the first big hit, the first hit the thirty nine yard pass to, to Andrews was one hundred percent that right because Andrews Andrews blocks to start the play and then he releases and Lamar showed I, I thought first of all really really good patience and you know he scrambled well on that on that play just to sort of give himself time and then that was just those guys I mean Andrews gets into space and they do they 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 have a sense of uh, of, of how to connect and you know. You see that with him and Marquise at times, but I mean, there's just there's just no comparison. There's nobody else on the team who has that has that telepathy with him, as as you call it. <laughs> I think it, it, going to him on the last drive on what it was it was I guess three of three of the four completions on the last drive were to Andrews, so it was Andrews, Andrews, Snead, Andrews. Um, the 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 two plays for fourteen. He probably was going to Andrews no matter what on those plays from the look of it. But Andrews also he also knew exactly how Andrews was going to break open on those two plays. Yeah, and again, I thought he showed good patience on both of those throws. I mean, that was a frantic time in the game. I mean, he certainly he certainly could have gotten the timing wrong on those plays, but but he didn't. And he seemed uh as you say, I mean, I mean, again, this this maybe gets back to what you were saying earlier when he doesn't have to overthink it and you know, he's in, he's in react mode and he's, you certainly are in that situation where you're trying to, to move the ball in that time frame. Um, you know, he was, he was right on point. Your turn. Any other player you'd like to discuss? Um, well, I don't know. Should we talk about McSorley a, a little bit? I mean, you know, we, we saw, we saw some, uh, some extended run for him at a, at a vital time in the game. Um, I thought, uh, I mean, I th- he's he's looked pretty good in the two games that we've seen. I mean, he at least doesn't. Um, I mean, the offense does not grind to a halt when he's when he's running it, which is which is saying something. Um, I mean, I, we still have not seen him asked to do a lot as an NFL passer, which you know would would be the question, um, and would would be the question based on what we saw of him in the two the two training camps. Um, I don't know that he's somebody who's going to make starter level NFL throws consistently, and you know. I don't think we've seen stuff in the games really to answer that question, but I mean, they don't fall apart when, when, when he's back there. And I mean, you know, that's, uh, that makes him um, an interesting player as you think about them going forward. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it'll be an interesting decision next year. Obviously Tyler Huntley is going to get a chance now and Tyler Huntley will probably get playing time in at least one of these last three games. If the Ravens have a lead. So I, I imagine they'll want to see in part what's going on. And it may come, he may get playing time in week 17 just because the Ravens are out of it. That could possibly be happening. It's not likely, but it is possible. And uh, that may be a decision next year in terms of who is the backup quarterback. Huntley is a rookie now. McSorley's in year two or year three? Year two. Year two. Okay, so. So he only has one more option year. The 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 value there is 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 kind of questionable as to as to which is worth more. He'll be coming off an injury, so there'll be questions about that. Obviously, I just thought you know it, it, a player like that who's on the margin of the NFL is always going to be concerned. Have I played my last NFL snap? Probably in the moment. And as he moved went off the field, the fact that he's still going crazy for the Lamar touchdown was one of the coolest moments about this game. These guys are going to war together. Yeah, and. I think just the way he's handled himself in general and the time that he's been here has been um, appreciated around, around the castle. Um, I mean, look, he was a big star in college. Um, it's, there's, it's not a, it's not a mistake that the Pennsylvania outlets that cover the Ravens give a huge amount of attention to Trace McSorley 
because he's a he's still a massive figure in Pennsylvania, right? I mean, he he was he was a star, um, and he's never acted like that in this context. He understands his role and he understands where he has to get better, and I think he's handled himself very well that way. Now, at the same time, I was I was one of those people who thought that Huntley outplayed him in training camp um, and and seemed to show a higher upside um, in terms of explosiveness as a runner and and as a passer. Um, so it would be interesting if there were a reason that we had to see Huntley play the rest of this year. Now, I don't think anybody's hoping for that, right? Because uh, certainly no Ravens fan is hoping for that because that means that something has not gone the way that uh, – that, that that they wanted it to, unless there's just a blowout where, he, where he's yeah. in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, I'd be um, happy with that. I'd be up, up yeah. 30. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I would certainly be very interested to see him play at some point because I, I did think he showed some real real standout tools during during camp. And I, I would not have thought it was a strange decision if they decided to put him above McSorley coming into the season. Yeah. All right. Great discussion here, Childs. Josh, tell us, what do you have for us in the mailbag today? At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, we got a full mailbag because um, that's what happens when it's a game that people all get excited about. We get some comments. Um, yesterday, McSorley went on to the IR. How do you see that affecting uh, backup quarterback? And does Colin Kaepernick get a call? Okay, I'm gonna, I'll take the Colin Kaepernick part first. I don't think there's any way in hell they call Colin Kaepernick. I think they've, they've already indicated it's going to be Huntley. But also the onboarding process, wouldn't that be difficult this year to even get Kaepernick in the building at a point where he could help? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be immediate. I mean, it would, they, they couldn't, certainly couldn't have done it for this week. But no, I, I don't think there's any thought of any sort of radical outside solution because, first of all, I think they're comfortable with Huntley. Second of all, RG3 is supposed to come off next week. Um, there's no indication that he's had any setbacks. Um, and third of all, McSorley is is not done for the year. I mean, you know, they're they're talking about this as, as a three week injury. So if they were to make the playoffs, he would still be a, an option for them in, in terms of, of a backup or a number three. So I I don't think this situation is drastic enough at all for them to think outside of really what they have now. All right. Um, how about Mark Andrews? Is it now time to consider an extension for Mark Andrews? I think it's always time to consider an extension for your good third-year players. I don't know that Andrews is going to be eager to bite on an extension, but I'd love to see it. I mean, there's a lot of other third-year players on this team, Childs. I mean, uh, I think Elliott is a guy you could extend now. He's had a great year from my point of view. I think you could you could spend money. I think you could give money to Bozeman at this point. And those are the kind of players that are more likely to make a modest third-year extension say for three more years that takes them out through their sixth year of their career than the star players like Andrews who are fairly sure that they're going to get paid after year four. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right about that. Um, I do think, I mean, Lamar, aside from Lamar, Andrews Mm -hmm. is the next big guy who's, who's, who's up um, in terms of, in terms of the, the younger guys. I mean, obviously they'll have to figure out the, the pass rusher thing, you know, do they, would they, would they consider using the franchise again? I, I don't know. I, 
me, that's a lot of money for for either Judon or Ngakwe based based on uh, based on what we've seen in the, in the market. But um, you know, I I'm sure they want it. I'm sure they want to get it done with Andrews. I mean, I, I feels like that. I mean, he's certainly the kind of player that that they've done it with that they've locked up in the past. But you you make a very good point about the the market. I mean, we've seen the tight end market kind of explode recently, right? So 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 that has to play into it too. And he's very aware of that. He wants to be. Um, he wants to be a top tier tight end. He also wants to be regarded as a top tier tight end, and part of that is the respect of the contract. So I, I don't think we can assume that it will be easy to to extend him. But um, I wouldn't look. I certainly wouldn't be shocked if it happened over the next six months. Who's it? pick one player from the th- among the third year group that you think is likely to get an early extension, and then maybe one of the fourth year guys who you think the Ravens are most likely to sign. Um, I kind of feel like. Of the fourth year guys, I kind of feel like Bowser has has put himself in an interesting position to be brought back on on sort of a, a modest contract. Um, I mean, I, I I wrote about this the other day after he made the interception. Um, we came into this year talking about you know could he be another one of these guys who blew up as a pass rusher in year four, which we've seen that over and over with the Ravens. I mean, Kruger, Zedarius Smith, on and on. That hasn't really happened. I mean. He's had some production as a pass rusher, uh, though that doesn't necessarily show up in the sack total. But just the versatility he showed and and the fact that um, if they were to let Judon go, he can seemingly step into Judon's role and you don't lose a ton because of, because of that versatility. Um, to me, he would be an interesting option for, for a fourth year. Um, the third years, um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be just unoriginal and piggyback on you, but I mean, I, I, I do think... I do think Elliott would make a lot of sense based on what we've seen and based on their patterns in the past. I mean, we know how much they value um, depth and security in the secondary. And he's, he's not at a point where he's probably going to demand uh, an outlandish contract, but I think he showed them exactly what they would have wanted to see from him this year. So mm-hmm. I think based on their patterns of the past, that would make a whole lot of sense. Probably gets less than what Chuck Clark got last year because Chuck Clark was already the defensive signal caller when he signed his extension. So I, to me, Elliott is the only guy and literally the only guy on that defense who could take over as the signal caller without the Ravens making a concession to who they are defensively. So they could make it be LJ Fort, say, but then they have to they have to rebuild the defense in some ways to, to make him an every down linebacker. Uh, it, to, to me, Elliot is is the obvious choice as the next signal caller if anything were to happen to Clark. So I, I like that call. I also would be per- perfectly happy with Bozeman. I want to go back to what you said about Bowser there, too, because I really wonder what the bargain might be in a COVID year like the year that you could strike it. There'll be a lot of players re-signing, I think, short-term deals, one-year deals mostly, with their own clubs just to kind of wait out the COVID cap we're going to face next year, but about a 25 million reduction uh, across the league. That's just going to create a tremendous scarcity of marginal dollars in the league for these contracts. And I, I don't see any other solution to it other than a lot of guys signing for less than they think they're worth. Right. And I mean, Bowser, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, personnel guys around the league know all the players. So it's not like, it's not like he's an unknown entity. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't have the sort of he doesn't have the flashy pass rushing numbers, which is which is what we normally see, you know, mm-hmm. blow up, blow up in the market. And so I think the Ravens probably do have a, a, a fuller appreciation of what he brings to the table than than anybody else. And 
I don't know. It just it just seems to fit the year and the need based on some of the other guys that they're going to have to make decisions about. And um, I also just think, you know, he's another guy who I think has really handled himself impressively within what they've wanted from him. I mean, th- there was a time when he was really in the doghouse. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when he and he and Tim Williams were talked about in the same breath as guys, yes. who, as guys, as guys who, were, who, who were who were could have been kicked out the door the next week. And Tim Williams essentially was kicked out the door, the door the next week. But uh, I think Bowser has always been a humble guy. He's put his head down and sort of understood the ways that he can add to the team without, you know, getting a dozen sacks. And uh, I think it's turned into a nice little story. Right. So Bowser and Judon, because they're so flexible and effectively it gives the Ravens two Sam linebackers on the field who can basically linebackers who can drop to cover. Bowser is the Ravens' best coverage linebacker, including the inside guys. It's so rare can't even tell you how rare that is on an NFL team. But, you know, last time it probably happened to the Ravens was with Adelis Thomas. Yeah. You know, in terms of, of having a guy like that. But, you know, those guys are exceptionally valuable. It's very hard to find good Sam linebackers who can actually contribute when they drop. And the Ravens have two very good ones right now. And it'd be a shame if if they let both go. I mean, I understand they're probably going to lose one. They probably can't afford both. But, boy, if they lose them both, that would be that would be terrible. And I, and I just I feel like they wouldn't let them both go because because I think they have, they recognize that. All right, um, is Lamar allowed to audible? And if not, why why not? Um, I mean, I, I think I think to a point he he is. Um, I'm to think when when would have been the last time that we asked that of Roman or James Urban? Um, it's been a while. Um, and they've always given, Company they've always, line. yeah, they've always given very careful answers to that to that question. So, I, I I can't say that I I can't say that I really know the answer to that question. <laughs> you know, there's there's something about Lamar that I want to kind of test you with and see if this is how you see it. Yeah, I'm not actually giving you a test here, but but Lamar Jackson is not a quarterback they've tried to run no huddle with. They don't really even do anything where they try and get them to the line of scrimmage at a 20-second point with a sugar huddle, and then he calls out protection, sees who he wants. Although he has ability to read the field pretty well, as we've seen in the past. Particularly, I'm thinking back to an L.A. game where he reads leverage pretty well in opposing corners and coverage players. But I, I think Lamar does a very good job improvising during the play, as as well as most NFL quarterbacks uh, you know, of the last decade or so. Um, in, in terms of doing that, obviously, he has his own tools to do that, and his ability to extend the play is wonderful. But he also, you know, has the the link with Andrews and the ability to find open players at different spots on the field. That's up there, you know, only a notch or two below Mahomes or Wilson, you know, in terms of their ability to to, to do that. Do you, do you see it that way in terms of of the difference between making a different call at the line of scrimmage versus making the improvisation during the play? I do. I think he sees the field very well once the play has started. I, I, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting, you know, in terms of the precept stuff, because when you talk to him and especially going into this year, he very much wants to be that guy. I mean, you know, when he talks about his long-term goals and when you talk to his, uh, his quarterback coach at home, Josh Harris, about his long-term goals, that's one of the first things that, that comes up. I mean, he wants to be the sort of Tom Brady, you know, galaxy brain guy who, not only sees the field during the play, but wants to wants to understand everything that's going on before the ball is snapped. And, you know, he talked about wanting to understand everybody's job on the offense and everybody's job on the opposing defense. So he sees the whole picture, sees the whole chessboard. So that's something 
he certainly wants. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where the progress is with that. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I know how to judge that, but I would at least say that's, that's something that he thinks about and that is important to him. And so I would expect him to sort of push for that as time, time goes forward. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a natural evolution, I would think. And, and if he's, he'll be a field general at some point, he'll lose speed. And by the way, loss of speed is not a linear thing in a football player. We've seen it this year. Lamar Jackson is not the kind of cutter that he was last year. Uh, he just doesn't have the same speed as much as, as good as he looked, you know, on Monday night, as good as he's looked at times this season, there's been long stretches this season where he hasn't seen the ability to make that outside guy miss the same way he did in 2019. Not surprising, but he'll have a degradation over time that is more or less downhill. We'll see. He'll he'll lose a step and he has to naturally make up for that in other ways. He has to read the field better. He has to be a better general at the line of scrimmage. He has to call out the particular blitz he's seeing. He has to do all of those things to read the field and communicate to his own players. And I think it will come fairly naturally in time. I think he's too instinctively good not to improve his own ability to communicate that at the line of scrimmage. Well, again, I think the fact that he's so aware that that's his next major evolution and that he wants it so badly, um, I think that's a big first step in that direction. It it certainly was as a passer, wasn't it? I mean, what he did with Josh Harris, he made huge steps. So that's great. All right, and I always think he audibles on every play, except he doesn't move anyone in the audible. He just decides to keep it himself. <laughs> all right. So you don't have to tell anyone else in the audible if it's all on you. All right, let's go out on an easy one because these have been some uh, long answers for mailbag questions. What else does Justin Tucker have to do to be the greatest kicker ever? Well, I mean, I, I think in, in absolute terms, I mean, if you take it, if you take it outside of context, I mean – I think he is. I mean, we've 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 never seen a kicker strike the ball the way that he does this consistently under all conditions, under all pressures. I mean, you know, you could talk. We we could talk about context. I mean, what a what a kicker is in the NFL and what is expected of a kicker in the NFL is very different now than it was twenty years ago. Vastly different than it was forty years ago. So so I mean, you know, you have to take that into account. But in just pure, who's the best guy? At, kicking the ball i mean i think he's he already is yeah there's no question in my mind he certainly leads all of the important statistical categories one of the things that's annoying and keeps happening is that there's a rookie kicker who'll come in and and make 19 out of 20 kicks and all of a sudden he's got a higher career field goal percentage than jackson but there's a lot of 400 hitters on april 20th there are almost no 400 hitters in fact there hasn't been one since 1941 at the end of the season so that's the kind of thing we, we have to realize here is that nobody can generally keep up that pace for very long. Tucker has done it at the highest level for a very long time. And I agree, Childs, it's, the game has changed in terms of the higher percentage of kicks made. still think Tucker has exceeded that by more than all of the kickers before him. Well, and to the point you just made, I mean, remember, it wasn't very long ago that it was he and Dan Bailey who were neck mm-hmm. and neck as the most accurate kicker of all time, right? And now... Now Dan, Dan Bailey has talked about as this sort of tragic figure who, who you know, everyone is afraid when he lines up to get a field goal. So that tells you all you need to know about, you know, how hard it is to sustain year after year after year. And, you know, Tucker's on the way to that sort of dignitary uh, estimation, right? I mean, you know, maybe maybe he has to hit a, a crazy field goal in, 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 the, in the snow in the postseason. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I, think, I think he's there to me. 
All right. Outstanding to have you on, Childs. Fantastic stuff. This is a great conversation. We love having people uh, who bring a little bit different insider view, in your case, along with the analysis. Uh, tell people about where they can contact you, what your Twitter is, and, and maybe a little bit more about your writing with The Sun, because you show up in other places than the sports section. Yeah, I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the weird guy who's done, done everything over, over the years. So I've been at The Sun, grew up in Baltimore. I've been at The Sun since 2001, which is a little frightening to me at this point. But um, Actually, I came in on new side, so so yes. I mean, I've done I've done a lot of non sports stuff over the years, um, politics and higher education, and you know, any any number of things. Um, but I've been a sports writer more than not, and I've done a lot of things within that too. I mean, the the, the Ravens is my primary thing, and I mean that's kind of what I do from uh, probably uh, you know nine nine months out of the year. But I do the I do the Triple Crown every year, you know, horse racing. Um, I. What Olympic stuff we do, I, I I do that. I mean, so I covered the Rio Games in 2016. I've written a lot about Michael Phelps over the years. So uh, always been kind of a jack of all of, of all trades. Um, but uh, but yeah, every every week you can you can read it. You know, I do. You know, I'll have at least one Ravens feature every week. You know, along with Jonas and and, and Daniel. And um, you know, I do the scouting report every week. And then the five things. You know, the, the goes up the morning after the game at 5 a.m. So so those are. Uh, Dependably there every every week during the season, and um, Twitter is just at Childs Walker. Very very easy, and uh, I'm easy to find. I'm 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 here to stay. I believe. <laughs> All right. All right. Lifelong Baltimore guy like me, always love to love to have that conversation. Uh, good about responding to people on Twitter. I'll ask that question. I, I don't mean to expose you here if you if you really take a long time to respond, generally. No, no, that's a, it's, it's a fair question. I I think I'm decent about responding. I am I am not. I am just generally, I'm generationally not of the social media generation. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in my forties, so I didn't grow up with it. It doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to some of the younger writers. Um, but you know, certainly if people ask me questions, I will, I will try to answer. Um, I'm probably not posting as much as, as a lot of other, uh, as, as most other writers, but uh, that's probably to my own discredit. <laughs> All right. So no, uh, no TikTok for no you. No TikTok for me. <laughs> No, no I, I'm trying to remember which uh, which platform it was that I that, that I that I died at. I, I mean, I don't even like I don't have an Instagram account. I mean, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, you have to follow athletes on Instagram because, you know, they're constantly posting information there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of tapped out at Twitter. <laughs> of course. All right. And then, uh, Ken, over on filmstudybaltimore.com, we have a new situation room. We've got the defensive breakdown. We've got a bunch of articles. We've got a whole bunch of charts and graphs. The site's really gotten a whole lot of content in the past three days that people need to go check out. Let me point out the charts and graphs directly because that's a new contribution. It's outstanding. So uh, a guy named Brent Dawson has put those up there. Uh, we had the offensive line charts already. That's done by a different guy, Josh Mustyko. Brett, Brett Dawson does these. He does lots of Lamar graphs that are wonderful. There's a lot of information there. Um, in addition to that, he's going to be putting up some ample time and space graphs. So if you're always wondering what I'm talking about, ample time and space, there's, the, the divisions will be made now into three categories, ample time, space, ball out quick, and pressure events. And you'll be able to see that visually across the entire season. So this visualization, I thought, was a very important step forward. Really appreciate Brent doing this for us. Yeah, and they're all up on there under a section called Charts and Graphs. You can't miss it. Um, all right, well, we still got we still got more to do this week. There's an, another offensive article is going to come out soon. 
We've got Know Your Foe recording tomorrow night. We've got By the Numbers recording the next night. Um, again, this week is confusing <laughs> me. Thursday night, Friday night. There we go. And we get back to normal with football on Sunday. Be good to have a 1 o'clock game again. How about say, you, are you are you ready for one o'clock football again, Charles? Oh, you you can't even you can't even imagine how much I'm excited. To just just pr- fingers crossed. Nothing nothing uh, too crazy the rest of this week because I mean, God, it's been it's been a month, right? Since we it's been since the Tennessee game. Um, I, I, nobody understands just how difficult it is if you write about the Ravens, or you produce content after games. Just how much of a of an inconvenience it is to have night football. No, it, well, I on on Monday night. I mean, given. That game, the importance of it, the drama of it, the fact that we had no idea how it was going to end until it ended. Um, I mean, I was up until three in the morning, you know, filing, you know, working work, work on the five things. So, I mean, you know, I could do that a couple times a season, but I certainly don't want to do it uh, every week. <laughs> all right. All right. So make sure you check all that out. Make sure you're spreading the word on the show, sharing on Twitter and Facebook and uh, TikTok, I guess, if you use it, tell people there as well. And head on over to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and write us a review. Give us five stars. That helps out the show a lot. All right, guys. Well, we will talk again soon. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.